Luke chapter 2, as well as Romans chapter 3. We're going to walk through a few chapters in Romans today, but anybody still have to make some emergency purchases, okay? Don't you hate that when you wait too long, you can no longer shop on Amazon, all right? Anybody do some shopping on Amazon? That's the best. Just order. It comes right to your house, and then you can get it where you need it to go. Uh, But tomorrow is, is Christmas, and for that reason... Uh, and, and Christmas is a, is a traditionally a Christian holiday, and so it affects us as a church, to what we communicate, and that's why we're looking at Luke chapter 2 today, is because of the Christmas season. Now, have you ever felt not very happy before? Have you ever felt grumpy? Have you ever felt not grateful or have you ever complained about anything? Anybody ever complained about anything? No, no judgment in that, okay? But sometimes we don't realize, have you ever heard someone complaining about something that you wish you had? Okay? So, like, if you have a, a person who's complaining about their kids, and they don't realize that someone in the hearing is, is an infertile mother that would long, or an infertile woman that would long to be a, a, a mother, and is thinking, I can't, you know, you know I wish I had your problems. Or a spouse complaining about their spouse. There's no spouses in here that complain about their spouses, right? A spouse that complains about their spouse and someone who would love to be married is overhearing that complaint and thinking, you don't know how good you have it. Like, I'm in this position. I would love to be in your position. Or have you ever heard somebody who is definitely better off than you financially complaining about their financial situation? Okay? And you think, man, I would love to have the kind of money problems that you apparently have, okay? And part of that is because it's very easy for us to, to miss how many good things we have. It's very easy for us to just notice the things that are bothering us and, and miss right underneath our noses that we have something really great. And, and that affects our mood and that affects our, our attitude. And sometimes we don't realize, have you ever... Anybody not great at technology? Anybody not great at technology? Okay. Uh, if you ever thought, man, I just wish I had something that would make this happen. And you've been living wishing that for, for years. And then all of a sudden someone comes along and says, hey, it's actually right on your phone. And you just do this. Have you ever had that before? Okay. And you, you had the technology there all along. And you never used the benefit of it because you didn't know it was there. Well, we are celebrating Christmas. And one of the things that we don't realize is how powerful and what the Christmas gift actually brought into our lives. And we sometimes walk into the Christmas season moody. Have you ever encountered moody people on Christmas Day? Anybody in your household maybe moody? Okay. And we enter into Christmas moody, and at the time that we're celebrating Jesus' interest into the world, and we might think, yeah, I know Jesus came into the world at that time. But I'm not quite so sure how that is supposed to impact my life. And I think the reason for that is we don't quite understand what it is that Jesus brought into our lives beginning in that Christmas season. And so look with me at Luke chapter 2. We're going to see an initial reaction from from the shepherds as well as from Mary to this entrance into the world. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. So this, whatever this is, is supposed to bring great joy to people and not just for the shepherds. Did you see that? It's for all people. So whatever this is that Jesus did is supposed to bring great joy to all people. Then skip down to verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. Have you ever just been in a moment that you sat back and you just felt pleased? You know, you just felt satisfied, maybe some kind of warm feeling, you just felt good. You weren't jumping up and shouting, you weren't necessarily saying anything, but you felt really good on the inside. That's what this is describing. Mary felt good, very good and fulfilled about what she was hearing. Now the shepherds, they left excited and rejoicing and praising God. And all of that is related to this gift that they had received the announcement of. And 
I don't think that we quite understand the significance of this gift that we have been given. And Paul in Romans is going to walk us through not only the details of what we've been given, but also how this gift, we can't lose it. We can't lose it no matter how much we mess things up. Do you ever mess things up? Okay. Do you ever mess up relationships? Do you ever mess up your health? Tomorrow you're probably going to mess up your health, right? Because you're going to eat some things that you shouldn't eat, you know, and we pay for it the next day. But we mess things up. Ever say the wrong thing, right, or do the wrong thing? We mess things up, and we lose things because of it. But this gift we cannot lose from mess, messing it up. We can't lose it because of our circumstances. Uh, we have a van that, that, uh, that, that the door, the sliding door is locked in place. And so we took it to the dealer, and you know what their response was? I don't know, it's stuck. <laughs> they, they, they could not figure it out. Now, after some time and some coaching on my part a little bit, uh, it looks like they're going to resolve it, but we've been without our vehicle for uh, going on two weeks now, uh, that one, and we have my little car that only seats five, and we have a family of six, so, so we have some circumstances that maybe a typical person might complain about. I'm a typical person. I have complained about it, uh, but those are bad circumstances, and even in bad circumstances, this gift that we have, you know, a van, or you might have, lose a job or have health issues, but this gift never goes away no matter what the circumstances are, and it never goes away no matter how weak we are. Do you ever feel weak? Okay, so maybe we're not sinning perhaps or making a mess of things, but we're just not capable. And even if we're not capable, this particular gift that was brought into the world at this Christmas season cannot even be lost by our weaknesses. And so in order for us to have the kind of joy and the contentment and the peace that Mary and Joseph had, and they didn't even have the revelation of what this is to the degree that we have it. We have to understand the gift. So look with me in Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. What then? Are, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. Now before I go on, uh, sometimes we think that we're not that bad. Okay, you know, we think, or sometimes we even think we're good, okay? And, and the, I think that we have a misunderstanding of what goodness is when we feel that way, because we think, well, I don't, I don't go around killing anybody, you know, I'm not committing adultery, I'm not stealing anything, so I'm, I'm a good person, and our bar is pretty low, but we don't realize that God's bar is much higher than that, and we don't realize all the ways that we're messing this whole thing up, and this is Paul here trying to make us realize how bad we're messing up. And he's not doing it because, Merry Christmas, I want you to know that you're lousy. That's not what he's trying to do here. He's trying to set us up for understanding exactly what we have. And to be able to understand that, we have to start with knowing how bad we are. And so he says, verse, into verse 10, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Now, we're here today, so obviously we seek God to some degree, okay? But have you ever just been tired and you've not had a, your prayer life wasn't very healthy or you're, you, weren't really, you weren't really into seeking God or worshiping Him or studying the Scripture or serving Him or whatever aspect it, it involves seeking God? You just didn't really want to, and so you didn't. And so when this here is saying no one seeks for God, we're in that category, we many times don't seek after the things of God for whatever reasons that we have. And then verse 12, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Have we ever had a time where we knew someone needed help with something, and we knew that we could possibly help with that, and we decided to just keep on going? Because, again, we're tired. We have other things going on. We weren't sure if we had the answer, and so we chose not to do good in that situation. And in that, doing that, we did what Paul's describing here. No one does good, not even one. We ignore many times the needs around us and do nothing, maybe because of fear, maybe because of, of concern, whatever, and we are this person. Then verse 13, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Anybody ever gossip about someone before or said something critical or negative towards someone or, 
or about somebody or anybody ever felt bitterness or just hard feelings towards somebody else? Or, or have you ever done something that hurt somebody else? And we might say, well, I don't murder and I don't steal, but we hurt people, don't we? And we, we have this darkness inside of our heart. That's, that's the person that we are. Verse 15, their feet are swift, swift to shed blood. And we might say, well, I don't shed blood, but verse 16, in their paths are ruin and destruction. Now, we know this on the receiving end. Have you ever encountered someone, and after you encountered them, you felt miserable? Have you ever had that before? Okay. Is it possible that you've ever done that to somebody? They encountered you, and they were in misery after encountering you. That's who we are. We, we are this person. Verse 17, in the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, the fear has to do with God bringing consequences. And how many times do we choose to not do what we know God wants us to do because we're not that concerned about what the consequences might be? We have no fear of God, and we just continue to live the way we want to. And that's who we are. We are that person. And if we think about the kind of person that God wants us to be, or even if we just think of the kind of person that we want us to be, have you ever looked at the mirror and you thought, I wish I was going to be a better person than this? Have you ever done that before? And sometimes we have good days, but I'm talking about on those bad days when we actually recognize the mess that we are, and we look at the mirror and we think, I wish I was better than that. It's hard to hold ourselves together, isn't it? We are a mess many times and we struggle, and, and, and boy, if life was dependent upon us getting our acts together, we'd be hopeless, wouldn't we? And so this is the position that we find ourselves in. We are not capable of resolving all of our issues. If that were true, we wouldn't have all the different issues that we have throughout humanity today, right? Okay? We are not capable of doing that. But there's good news. This is where we feel a little bit better about ourselves, okay? Verse, 20, verse 19 now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So it's not by getting our acts together that we will be justified before God. And then he continues, 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Have you ever struggled with why is it that Jesus got crucified? Why is it that Jesus died on the cross? And I know that we know it was for our sins, but God could not remain just and just let us get off free from all the problems that we've caused. And yet, so he had to bring consequences. But he couldn't justify us if there wasn't an out for that also. So Jesus took it upon, God took it upon himself to, to take our consequences so that he can still justly condemn sin and justly let us in. And here's the thing. You're a mess. Look at the person next to you and let them know you're a mess. I don't, you didn't sound all that convinced of that. Look at the person next to you with conviction and let them know you're a mess. Okay. And here's the cool thing. is No matter how much a mess we are, we, it's a free gift from God, this justification before Him. That we can stand in right standing before Him even though we're a mess. And we're a mess yesterday. We're, this is not just before we met Christ. This is we're still a mess. And Jesus still accepts us into his presence, even though we're a mess. And who do you know that's like that? 
No other person is like that, where if we're too much of a mess, other people don't want anything to do with us. But Jesus still wants us, even though we're a mess. And we can't mess this thing up. Tomorrow, if any of you are cooking, you can mess that up, right? Tomorrow, if we're socializing with other people, we can mess that up also. But this gift that we have from Jesus, we can't mess that up. Isn't that freeing to think about that? I can't mess this thing up. This thing I get to have no matter how much of a mess I am. And then he continues, verse 27. Then that be, what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that no one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify, we'll see that continually, that justify throughout these passages, justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. What becomes of boasting? It is, it is excluded. There is no boasting in this scenario. And, and the thing we need to think about is, have you ever looked around at the people around you and you thought, these people are better than me? Have you ever been in that place? These people are better than me. Maybe there were feelings of insecurity and inadequacy. Maybe you want to pull back from some of those relationships. This gift that we have in Jesus, that we walk in, there is nobody better than us. Isn't that crazy to think about? Nobody is better than us because everybody around us is in the same boat. Everybody around us is a mess, and some of us play a good game. You know that? Some of us look like we've got our acts together, but if you ask their family, you'd figure out they don't have their act together. They're just pretending, okay? And we play a good game at church, right? And we act like we have our thing, acts together. But somebody knows that we don't have it together. Every one of us is equally a mess before God. Nobody is better than us. That is this indestructible, amazing gift that Jesus has given us at Christmas time and into the new year and throughout our lives. We have this gift that nobody's better than me. And I don't need to feel insecure in, in any way whatsoever. Nobody is better than me. Yes, I'm a mess, but so are they. Nobody's better than me, and I can't mess this thing up. Go over to chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, and verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. And as we proceed through chapter 4 and even into the other chapters, we see that this receiving of the, the world is not just to Abraham, it's to all of us. Remember the Beatitudes that Jesus says, I think it's the meek that will inherit the earth, right? So and the, we're referring to more the new heaven and the new earth. You're not going to be like the, the king or anything. Uh, we're going to possess the new heavens and the new earth, paradise. This, remember Jesus telling the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise belongs to us. We might be waiting for it. We might be in line waiting for it to arrive. But paradise belongs to us even though we don't deserve it, even though we don't fully understand it, even though sometimes we don't even want to seek the things that will result in us landing there. Paradise belongs to us. Why? Because 2,000 years ago, God decided to step into humanity in the form of Christ and gave us an indestructible, indescribable, perfect, ultimate gift. That's what we're celebrating tomorrow, is that. Then verse 16 says that, it, it is, that that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of, of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that did not exist. It is by faith so that it could be guaranteed. Is your job guaranteed to you? Your income, your health, is it a guarantee that your spouse will stay with you? That your spouse will even like you? Is it a guarantee that you'll keep your children? Is it a guarantee that your children will obey and respect you? 
Uh, is it a guarantee that your house will be there when you get home today? Okay? There are no guarantees because we mess things up. The world around us is messed up. And so if this promise to receive a gift from God relied on us performing a certain way, we're never going to get it. I mean, think about it. Like we might say, well, but I pray and I study my Bible and I go to church. Are we saying that we never fail in that? Because if the expectation was that we have to get our act together from now going forward, we would never receive this gift. If we had to make sure that we prayed every day to receive this gift, we would not receive it. If we had to make sure that a lustful thought never entered our mind or we never felt feelings of bitterness or resentment towards other people, we might pull that off for a while, maybe for the majority of the time. But if we had to pull it off all the time, we would not get this gift. But because the gift is given to us by grace, it is a guaranteed lock that we will get this gift. And so tomorrow when you have to deal with the headaches of the people you're with and the things and the responsibilities that you have, remember that we have reason to be joyful, content, to be like Mary, to treasure up all these things in our heart. Because even if the world's falling apart around us, even if we're making a mess of this thing, I still get that gift. That's the gift that Jesus gave at Christmas time. Then look with me at verse, verse 18. In hope, still Abraham, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. Anybody with your own body feel like you're as good as dead right now? Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, and he gave glory to God. Verse 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. There it is. This is not just for Abraham. This is for us. But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So you have a a van that's not working. Well, we serve a God who who can make the 100-year-old and 90-year-old have a child. Okay? So you lost your job, so your spouse is a scoundrel, okay? So your children are wayward, so your body is messing up on you. We serve the God who raised someone from the dead, okay? So no matter what circumstance, and that's the gift that he gave us, we can be in the most worst circumstances imaginable. This is why the first century Christians were able to rejoice and praise God, though being mutilated by their persecutors, Because they knew that no circumstance can take away the gift that Jesus has given them. That they will be in paradise for all eternity. It's only a matter of time. And so tomorrow, if you are in misery, remember, you have a gift that is coming to you. And it doesn't matter if you couldn't give gifts. It doesn't matter if nobody gave you gifts. It doesn't matter if you're all alone. It doesn't matter if your body's falling apart. It doesn't matter if you don't know if you can pay the rent next week. You have a gift that nobody, no landlord, no boss, no spouse, no person, no health issue can take away from us. That is the gift that Jesus has given to us. Then verse... Ah, we'll, we'll move on. Go to chapter 5. Yeah, go to chapter 5. Verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know, like, I don't know if we understand how significant that is. We have peace with God. Okay? Because I, I think we only know it when we really, really messed up. When we're doing good, we don't understand this, okay? But when we've really messed up, the idea that God can be okay with me, all right, should be a significant thing. But verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, 
and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Into this grace in which we stand. We have, we have four children, and usually when we go somewhere with our four incredibly upstanding, obedient, compliant children, we never feel, hear, or see the glances of people that are being judgmental towards us. We don't ever experience that. Usually people think we're great parents. No, I'm, I'm teasing. Uh, we get judgment because of that. Uh, or have you ever gone somewhere and you knew someone was judging you because of the way you looked, because of your appearance? Or it wasn't even their fault. You were an idiot. Have you ever been an idiot before in public? Okay. And you deserve being judged. And the people around you, they weren't thinking great thoughts towards you. And that doesn't feel good, does it? If people think you're a bad parent, you're a bad spouse, you're a bad person, you're a bad Christian, you're a bad whatever, that doesn't feel good when people look down on you, right? But the gift that Jesus gave us is that we get to stand in the grace that he has in that even though we are a mess, he's not looking down on us. He's not judging us. He's not thinking you're lousy, you're no good for nothing. He is thinking all kinds of wonderful thoughts towards us. And the only reason he could do that, because we deserve to be judged by him, because we're a mess, right? But the only reason he could do that is because Jesus came into the world and took on all those consequences for us so that we could stand before God the mess that we are and not be seen like that mess. That is the reason why we celebrate this Christmas season. We have all the reason to be joyful because of what we have. Verse 3, chapter 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. So Molly, when your knee is bugging you, it means I should rejoice that this knee is bugging me, right? Okay? Or when somebody is irritating you and getting on your nerves and you're suffering, rejoice in our suffering. Now, it's not really rejoicing because of the suffering, but it's rejoicing despite the suffering. But why is that? Well, halfway through four, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Oh, how good it could feel to not need to be ashamed, right? Because we should feel ashamed, but we don't have to feel ashamed. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The gift that we've been given is no matter how much we're suffering, we know that this means something good is coming. Okay, so Molly, your knees are bugging you this morning. Something good is coming, right? Okay, uh, no, it's not like the TV preachers. You don't have a Lamborghini waiting for you at home, okay? But something good is happening in Molly's life because she's suffering. Every time we face heartache, and suffering and struggle, something good is happening, whether I'm becoming a better person because of it, and therefore I'm going to receive better things in the future, or somebody else's life is being made better, or I'm receiving greater rewards when I get to eternity. No suffering, no stubbing of your toe, no waking up in the middle of the night with some aching pain goes unnoticed by God. Every single little insignificant suffering to the biggest sufferings that we experience, we can rejoice at. Why? Because if this hurts, something good is happening. And we don't deserve to have that unless Jesus Christ came into the world. That's why we can treasure up all these things in our heart. Then verse 6 for while we were still weak, do you ever feel weak? Okay. I just don't know if I can go on. Have you ever felt that way? I don't know if I can keep going. Okay. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Listen to that. We were enemies of God. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. If you ever feel like you can't, you just can't keep going. You just, you're too weak to do that, to be that. That is the right time that Jesus shows up and can give us the strength to get through it. And Jesus can carry the day and make up for the inadequacies. Do you ever feel inadequate? 
at times. Do you ever feel like I just can't figure this out for the life of me? Jesus comes in at all of those times if we let him, and he takes care of our weaknesses. And we can stand before God and still receive all the goodness that he has for us, even though we're weak, even though we're not adequate for this. Then verse 12, still in chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted, therefore, where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift of God is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Reign. This is not just surviving, my friends. This is reigning. This is thriving that Jesus has given us. Therefore, verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, there were many made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you ever messed up and then you reconciled, you dealt with the way you messed up and everything was okay, and then you blew it again? Have you ever been there before? Okay, and then maybe things got worked out that second time, but then you blew it another time? And at some point you're thinking, well, like, surely if I keep messing this up, like, this is going to be over, right? My boss is going to fire me. This person's going to want out of my life. They're just not going to want anything to do with me if I keep messing this up. Did you hear what Paul just said? Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Do you understand that this gift means that if we mess up big time, you know what the result is? We get even more grace. How can that be? It doesn't make sense in human relationships, but the more we mess up, the bigger this gift gets, okay? So, because we tend to think the more we mess up, okay, you know, certainly at some point I'm out of the picture here, okay? But no, the more we mess up, the bigger this thing gets for us. That's the gift that we have. Well, hold that thought, hold that thought. Did you, you meant to say that right when everything got quiet, right? <laughs> she was just thinking out loud at the wrong time, perhaps. <laughs> uh, but there is, what she just said is true, because listen to what Paul says in, verse, in chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Okay, so we can keep messing this up, and we still have grace from God, but does that mean that we just keep living the way we want to? And we think, well, okay, this is where we find out that this gift isn't as great as we thought it was. Because I thought that I could just do everything wrong and get whatever amount of grace I can get from God. And actually, that is to some degree true, and that's the thing we have to hold on to for a minute here. Because uh, anybody tend to be a perfectionist like me? I tend to be a perfectionist. Like, and I just I get frustrated if, if I fail at something, and I feel no good because of it. Okay? Anybody just feels sh- all kinds of shame just for the slightest failure? Okay? That person needs to hear this, because I, we wrestle with this, because we're not supposed to stay a mess, but at the same time, His grace is sufficient for us. And those who tend to the perfectionist end, and those who are worried about, well, if we communicate this idea, then people will just think that they can live the way they want to, and they'll be fine. But here's the thing. We have to be able at some point to just rest in this idea. You ready for this idea? I want you to think about your worst day and how much you've blown it. Ready for this idea? You're still forgiven. 
You don't need to pray more. You don't need to study the Bible more. You don't need to do more ministry. You don't need to stop that. I mean, we need to stop the sin. But you don't need to stop the sin to be forgiven. You are forgiven if you are in Christ. That is the free gift. And we have to know that, especially when we're in that place of deep shame, we have to know that if this sin got bigger, His grace is even bigger than that. We have to know that. Because if we don't, we can't move forward. So we have to know that He still forgives us, no matter how much of a mess we are. But He calls us to something better than that, though. He tells us not to continue to sin. And we might, again, hear that and think, well, here we go. You know, I still have to pull my act together. I don't know why this is a gift, the idea that I have to stop this sin. Well, hear me out. Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Do you ever have any habits that you wish you could just break and not be enslaved to anymore? This is what's happening here. I am no longer enslaved to this. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not, therefore, Sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as slaves, uh, as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Sin will have no dominion over you. Again, we might hear this as, oh, this means I have to get my act together. You know what it actually means? You have the ability to overcome that thing. See, I'm telling the truth. <laughs> you have the ability to be different. Do you know that? We have the ability. It's not, that, well, now God's expecting more of me. It's not that. It's we have the ability to change. Do you know that? We have the ability to begin to live differently. We have the ability to overcome sin. We have that. And we might think, man, he's ruining all my fun. We misunderstand sin. Because at the end of this chapter, what does he say? The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We don't realize it, but the fun that we're having at times is actually destroying us. When we're getting back at someone else and we think, well, good, I got that off my chest, we're actually destroying our own emotions. When we are living in sexual immorality and we think we're just getting that pleasure, we're actually destroying our relationships in the process. Sin is destructive. And so it's not that he's robbing us of fun. He is robbing us of destroying ourselves. He's giving the, us the ability to stop destroying ourselves. So when Jesus came into the world, it wasn't to make us all feel guilty about how bad we are. It was to help us to have the ability to stop destroying ourselves. That's the gift that he's given to us. But, verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to life. But thanks be to God that you, were once slave, you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves to slaves of righteousness. Let me, let me explain this. So, is anybody a planner like me? Anybody like to figure things out? I just got to figure this out, okay? 
Uh, I know that uh, Kate, Aaron's uh, daughter that's here today is studying psychology, right? And so anybody who's interested in psychology, part of our motivation is we want to figure this problem out, right? We want to figure out how to resolve this problem. So I always have plans, right? And I always figure things out, and I have schemes, and I have a playbook, and I'm going to figure this out. And there's, there's a place for that. But here's the cool thing with God, because when we make our plans, sometimes they work out, and sometimes they don't. Have your plans ever failed before? Kate, have your plans ever failed before? Okay. Uh, so we try to fix things, and it's, uh, have you ever been backed up against the wall, and you're like, I don't know, I can't figure out how to s- solve this thing. I don't know how to resolve this thing. And it's just too deep, too complex, too, it, too difficult to figure out, and we wish we could figure out how to overcome it. And you know what the solution is? It's not to pray harder. It's not to, to get into some self-help group or program, even though those things have their place. You know what the solution is? Do you know why you're broken down? Do you know why you're struggling? Do you know why you're having the issues you have? Do you know why that is? There's not some complex solution to it. You know what it is? It's surrender to Christ. Anytime you find yourself broken, it's because you didn't surrender to Christ. That's the reason. Anytime we give in to sin, anytime we don't achieve what God wants us to achieve, anytime we experience shame, it's because we didn't surrender to Christ. It's not because we didn't pray hard enough. It's not because we didn't know how to pray in tongues or didn't have some spiritual gift. It's not because we didn't understand the Bible enough. It's because we didn't surrender. And you know what the beauty of following Christ is? The answer to everything is just do what he says. Okay, so, so why do I pray more so that I can get myself to be righteous? Do I pray more so that I can achieve something? Do I pray more to introduce more things in my life? And will those things happen? Sure. But why do I pray more? Because Jesus said to pray. Why do I share my faith with someone? Because Jesus said, share your faith with someone. Why do we come to church week after week? Because every week it's this amazing experience that I leave feeling all kinds of goosebumps and great in my life? No. Why do we come? Because Jesus said to come. That's why we come. Why do we decide not to be mean to somebody? Why? Because Jesus said to be kind. The answer to all our solutions, just do what Jesus says. It's not complicated. We make it complicated. And the reason why we need the plans and the programs, and we need those things, right? We need the structures. We need the, the, the teams and the ministry teams and all that stuff. But the reason why we need it is because we won't just surrender to what Jesus wants without some kind of coaxing. We need someone to prod us and persuade us into the picture. But the answer to becoming a better spouse, a better parent, a better person, to be free of that habit, the answer to having more joy, just surrender to Christ. Doesn't that sound great? That's all I have to do is just surrender and this is, this is all taken care of? But it's a little hard to do that, isn't it? To surrender to Christ. Go to chapter 8 and we'll end there. Romans chapter 8. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of, God, of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us. Did you know that? And so when we're weak and we're failing, remember that part of the gift that we've been given is we've been given access to the Holy Spirit And so when we feel weak, we have that. Verse 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery uh, to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. If we find ourselves with somebody else doesn't like us, somebody else is upset with us, we can know that we are children of God, despite that we messed that whole thing up. We are children of God. We have that status, and we also have this gift of life that he's given us. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I want you to understand something. Is it okay to be sad? Okay. Is it okay to be frustrated at times? 
Okay? So it's not that we can't have those feelings, but the person who can't get back up again is the person that doesn't understand their gift. So it's not that we need to be perfect all the time, but if you want to be able to recover from the things you're recovering from, we have to understand this idea that, verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free. Even the creation around us is in bondage. Did you know that? This world is destructive, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have been the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Good news, you're going to die. Also good news, your body's going to continue to get worse. Also good news, somebody's going to get upset with you. Also good news, something's going to break down. If you keep your car long enough, it will break down. Your house will break down. Things break apart. In this world, there's hurricanes, there's tornadoes, there's, there's floods, there's fires, there's murders. There's, I mean, how many times can we look on the news and see how somebody else was shot in this neighborhood? Okay? People are dying all the time. People go through horrific things. And if, all, if at the end of the day all there is left is to die and cease to exist, what was the purpose of it all? But if we know that we get to walk out of this horrible existence that we live in into the paradise that we have re- awaiting us, that's the gift that he's given us. So no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, we might get upset for a moment, we might get frustrated, we might feel ashamed, but we need to remember that we have something great on the other side. You know the only time we get excited about grace? When we failed. Do you know the only time we get excited about deliverance? When we're suffering. We claim that we don't want pain and struggle and frustration. But the only time we get excited and thrilled and content and joyful is when we get to the other end of suffering. That, that's the only time. Other than that, we're indifferent. We're, you know, we don't really care. We're kind of lukewarm. The only way we know that things are good is to suffer. I wish it wasn't that way. But that's the way that it is. And so sometimes we have to be reminded of who we are. We're, we're lousy. Did you know that? Like if we truly look at the kind of person we are, even on our best day, we're not that great. And our circumstances aren't the best either, right? Our health issues, our relationship issues, and people are opposed to us. People don't like us. People are upset with us. But here's the thing. In those dark places, this is what we need to remember. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So I want you to think when you feel all alone and you think that nobody else cares about you and everybody else is against you, who can be against you if God is for you? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Not just some things, all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of God, uh, love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. Who can take anything from us? Do you ever feel weak? Do you feel like everything's falling apart and you can't figure it out? Listen to this gift that you have. No. In all these things, what things? All your worst things that you're experiencing in life. In all these things, we are more than conquerors 
through him who loved us. We are not just expected to rise above it. We are capable of rising above all this destruction that we have. And when the world tells you that you're lousy, you're no good, your life isn't worth anything, or they treat you that way, and we think that we have no value to possess, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. Nothing, not even ourselves. We can't mess this up bad enough to lose this. We can't fail bad enough. We can't be weak enough. We can't have poor circumstances that are bad enough to separate us from this. So when you go back out into that world and deal with the things that you have to deal with, nothing, nothing can take the power and the grace and the love that Jesus Christ has given you. Will you close your eyes and bow your heads with me? If you're here this morning and you're struggling with who you are, shame, inadequacies, you're afraid of your circumstances, and you feel like you just cannot overcome, and you need the Lord to come in and help you, you need the joy that he can bring because you're struggling. Maybe you have some doubt. Maybe you're struggling to even believe that God is there and willing to do anything in your life. And you would like him to come in and show that he can do all things in your life. And you have need of him. Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me. Okay, good. Anybody else? Good. Good. Anybody else? Good. Good. So, Lord, I ask for these that have raised their hands, that you would give them the power that you said that we possess. We will inherit the earth. And so I ask, Lord, that you would help each one here that has raised their hand to know the joy and the peace that you bring, that tomorrow and into the new year and throughout their lives, they can face the darkest moments and their biggest shame and know that nothing, nothing separates them from the love of Christ. Help us to walk in that. And tomorrow when we celebrate Christmas, may it not just simply be about decorations and food and family and gifts, but may we realize that we have everything we don't just have some things. We have everything we need in Christ Jesus. May we recognize the gift that we have from you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen.